morning. Teresa, you could have been bold and put it all the way down for us. You know, I'm short with you. Good morning. I am Jennifer Steele, and I'm a member of the teaching team here at Redeemer, and it is my great pleasure to be with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please open our minds and our hearts to see and receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. Amen. So here at Redeemer, um, most of you know we start with the kids because basically they're the smartest people here. And um, they always have the most profound insights. So, um, kids, show us up. So, I have a question. Um, there is a phrase that is kind of common and kind of not. And I'm wondering if you guys have heard it. It's called, you can't see the forest for the trees. Has anybody heard that? I mean, it's kind of weird, right? It's sort of like saying, you can't see that field for the blades of grass. Or you can't see the beach for the grains of sand. So anybody got any ideas what that kind of means? Forest for the trees is sort of weird, right? It seems redundant. Um, Well, basically, you can't see the big picture. I see how you are, kids. You're falling asleep on me this morning already. But no, you can't see the big picture um, because you're so focused on the individual things. Does this ever happen to you? You're somewhere playing, you're hanging out, and you get a splinter, and all of a sudden, everything, you lose everything, and all you can think of is the splinter in your thumb, and you forget that you're pretty healthy in general, and you're kind of having a good time. Or maybe it rains, this happens to me a lot, it rains for two days, and you think, will I ever see the sun again? Because I'm distracted by what is right in front of me. Um, Many of us wear glasses, and um, when you lose your glasses, you can get in trouble because all you can see is right in front of your face. What's right before you and everything beyond is very fuzzy and distant. So that's what you can't see the forest for the trees is, is we're so distracted by the individual things in life that we can't see the big picture. So the irony of this is that um, this book of Romans that we've been studying all fall, and then we took a break, and now we're back at it, it is a book of a lot of trees, we'll say. There are a lot of majestic, important points that we need to look at in Romans. A lot of them. And we've spent all fall covering these trees. These majestic truths about God and about us and about how the world works. But the crazy thing is that we can get so focused that we lose track of the big picture. Last week, the last two weeks, Ford and then Grace... um, have talked about how we're transitioning in Romans from the individual trees, so to speak, all of these truths. Do you think I need that? Well, I'm sure. Okay. Oh, hi, online people. Sorry. I'm usually pretty loud. Thank you, Daniel. 
Um, so we've been going, in the fall we were on Romans and all of these truths and trees, so to speak. And now we're transitioning into how do these truths really affect us in our lives every day? Um, when the truths of God fall on us, how does that transform us? What happens? So this for me is when the temptation comes to lose sight of the big picture. I start making my lists of do's and don'ts, my spiritual checklists, the right things to do with God, the right not things to do with God. I check them off. And then sometimes I start to compare my lists with other people's. And that's when we come to Romans 4. Romans 14, excuse me. Um, Rome in Paul's time was a wild mix of people and culture and beliefs. All kinds of people were beginning to follow Jesus. Not just Jews, but people from all over. People with different histories and ideas of what was right and wrong, what promoted life and spiritual health and what did not. People with different traditions. There was tension and disagreement among believers. Does this sound familiar to anybody? For the Romans, two issues rose to the top of the pile. And they were what a good Christian should eat. And what days a good Christian should consider holy. So just stop and think with me for a minute. What are the issues that rise up today about what a good Christian should or should not do or be a part of or practice? In verse 1, Paul starts this chapter by saying, accept And don't argue about disputable or doubtful matters. Some translations say don't quarrel over opinions. I really believe that Satan does not have to sell us in the church outright lies to distract or divide or send us down the wrong path. He just has to get us to focus on the disputable and doubtful matters. He just has to get us to quarrel over opinions. He deceives us into focusing on the trees and forgetting the forest. And after a while, we begin to face that original temptation of Adam and Eve. We can be like God. We can know. We can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and pass judgment. It's a slippery slope to navigate. When a friend of mine worked um, in Brazil with new converts, a lot of them gave up dancing. Because to them, dancing and the way and the ideas they had associated with dancing 
were so close to their old life, they just couldn't continue to do that. Yet in the Psalms, David dances before the Lord with wild abandon. I have um, some friends here in Raleigh who decided to homeschool their kids because they really wanted to provide their kids a faith-based education. Then I have another friend who got involved in her child's public school education for the very same reason. We always want to know what is the right thing to do before God. And for sure, a big reason is to honor him and to obey him. But if I am honest with myself, for me, a huge reason is for my own comfort and assurance. Right food? Check. Right day to worship? Check. Right morality? Check. I'm good with God. And to be sure, these matters are important. But as one commentator puts it, they are non-essential. We are, as the phrase goes, in trouble when we begin to major in the minors. When we get distracted by the trees, important as they are, we lose sight of the forest. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the stereogram, kids. It's a picture. It's like this big, blurry picture, a bunch of colors, a bunch of patterns. So if you kind of look at it for a while and look through it, an image pops out at you. But sometimes it's really hard to see that image. You have to kind of let your mind relax. And look at the whole to see this thing jump out. So with that in mind, I want to invite us to sit back and we're going to stereogram this passage. Lean back and if it's helpful, you can close your eyes and listen. And I'm going to read it from a different translation. And as you listen to the passage as a whole, open your mind and ask God, what is the main thing? That jumps out at me. Romans 14. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some day should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way, 
So each person is free to follow their convictions of their conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to. All the way from life to death and everything in between. Not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. So as we sit and look at that passage, what are the images and phrases that stand out? For me, they are these. God invited them both to the table. God can make corrections and teach without my help. Do whatever I do for God's sake. I answer to God first and last. It's easy for me to be diverted and distracted by rules and practices and disputables, even though they are all incredibly helpful, but not when I lose sight of the main thing. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus told a teacher of the law, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, Grace highlighted Paul's words in chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments are all summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there are and there will be many things that we encounter and need to think about. How to respond to the government. How to respond to community how to respond to evil and injustice, how to respond to our different brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can't let the minor things eclipse the major. God is the one who initiates and invites us to the table. He is the one who convicts hearts and judges. I live my life in response to his overwhelming love and grace. And I respond to others with the love and grace I have received from him. God, help us to make it so. Amen.